Well, good morning, and welcome to Ritz and Road Alliance Church. It is so good to see so many of you here today. Um, it's incredible. Masks on, if you're here in person. And it's beautiful, and we're glad that you're here. And for those of you who are watching online, my name is Chris Corbin, and I do have the privilege of serving as the pastor here. And, you know, last weekend was, was Thanksgiving for many of us. And so many of you were probably celebrating. And uh, my hope is that you took time over the course of the weekend to, to celebrate and to give thanks, um, to praise God for who he is and the things that he has done. And as I was thinking about that and, you know, constantly thinking about the things that we're thankful for, um, one of the things I'm thankful for is you. We are so incredibly thankful and grateful that we get to walk alongside of you and journey with you to be a family together. And so we know that you guys continue to, to support us as a church and as a family, as a body of Christ. Uh, you come alongside, you faithfully pray and give. And so we're just so incredibly thankful. Um, for all of the ways that you help join with us as we partner to reach our communities, our cities, our nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ and just how much he loves us. And so, the difference. Your prayers are making a difference. And so, thank you. Um, from the bottom of my heart and, you know, from, you know, the staff and the board of elders here at the church, we are thankful for you. And so this morning, as we jump in, as we begin our service, uh, I just want to remind you that we are here in many ways to connect with God. And our hope and our desire is that through our service this morning, you'll have an, an opportunity to encounter him, uh, that you would be able to meet with the Father and that you would hear his voice, whether it's through you know, a modified form of worship or through the kids' moment or through the message, um, even just taking time to reflect um, through the week or um, at the end of the day, as you fellowship with one another afterwards, our hope is that God would just meet you in a, a meaningful and powerful way today. And I recognize that, you know, that there's so many different voices out there that are competing for our attention. Um, sometimes it's hard to really be able to hear God speak. And so this morning, I want to encourage you just to take a moment and I know that this, parents, this is going to be a little bit harder for you with your kids running around or at the crazy tables, but just take a moment to just still yourself. I, I think this is so important, and I, I, I think we often struggle, especially in North America, to just still and silence ourselves. You know, we're such in a rush to do everything, to, to get on with the next thing, to accomplish tasks, um, to be productive, and those are great things and those are important things. But sometimes I think God just, and I talked about this all last week, just wants us to still ourselves so that he can, in fact, speak to us. So let's do that this morning. Let's take a moment and just come and be still before God. Let's put aside all of those thoughts and those distractions that keep us from hearing his voice. You know, I, I really think that he's going to speak this morning. So let's allow him to touch our heart and to reveal his love towards us. Let him impact us and challenge us to go deeper. And whatever it might be this morning that God wants to do to you, may your heart and your minds be open to hearing from this morning. 
So Holy Spirit, as we still our hearts, as we still our minds, we invite you to come and to fill this place and to fill our hearts, our minds, our bodies and our souls. Would you speak to us this morning? Would you fill us and lead us towards the love of the Father? Would you reveal Jesus to us this morning and his heart towards us? And may we be led into your presence, O God, our Father, that we would know your deep love for us, your mercy and your grace extended to us, that we would revel in your holiness and your majesty and your might, and that we would see you we would hear you, and we would be moved towards you this morning. So we give you this service, we give you our hearts, we give you our minds, we give you our thoughts, and we ask you to come, to be present among us. I pray this. You know, I'm loving technology. For someone, I, you know, I, I, I really do love technology, but it, it's one of those things that often frustrates me when things don't work well, and you just can't figure out why. You know, it's always worked, and suddenly it doesn't, but uh, it's all good. You know, it was a great kids moment, so thank you, Amanda. And uh, I think I need to clarify and, and maybe justify myself a little bit here. When Amanda says I buy her gifts all the time, it, like, we're not talking about me being having lots of money. <laughs> you know, that might be something like a coffee or something like that. So let's just clear the air here. You know, I'm not made of money. But uh, I do. I love, I love it to spoil my kids. I love to spoil my family. It is one of my love languages. Um, I'm not always great at words of affirmation. But gifts is one that uh, I've always excelled in, and so that's one of the ways I love to bless my family. But I am glad that you are joining with us this morning as we continue our series, um, as we dig in and dive into our vision and Road Alliance Church. And uh, I was just reminded um, that we have these wonderful bookmarks for you guys. Um, they're at the back on the table, so if you're here in the service um, and you don't have one, these are a great way to have our vision and our values readily available. So you can reflect on them, you can maybe even follow along. Gives you a good like roadmap of where we're gonna be going for the next explore the different values that shape us as a church. And for those of you who are watching online, you can always contact the church office and we'll make sure that you somehow get one. Um, but uh, they're a great, great way to have that on hand. And I want to dive right in this morning, and uh, I want to remind you of what our vision statement is. And, you know, eventually, I, I wish we could have a little bit more audience participation, because I'd make you stand up and recite it, um, put you on the spot, test you, see who can remember it. But our vision is this, is that as a community of Christ followers, we are devoted to knowing God, we are committed to loving one another, and we are focused on reaching the lost. And as I think about that, it, sometimes it just seems so simple. You know, th these are three easy things that we should be able to do, you know, as we walk with God. You know, we, we are devoted to Him. 
and, and we're committed to loving one another. That, you know, that sort of seems natural and easy. And then we're focused on reaching the lost. Like, that should be easy. We should be able to do that. You know, we all should be able to do that. And it's true. And yet, as I was, like, thinking about all of that and beginning to look and, and consider all of the ways that we actually could do that, what does that look like? I was really actually struck by the magnitude. So while this is a simple vision, it is also a very broad and expansive vision that, you know, there is so much room and so much opportunity for that to happen. There are so many different ways that we can know God. You know, we looked at a few of them through our values, and there are so many ways that we can love one another. And the reality is that that doesn't even have to come out of a love for God, that could just be a natural love for humanity, and we see that all the time. And yet, loving and reaching the lost as well, and I, I don't know, there's so much that we could do. There's so many ways that God can work within that vision, and, and so many amazing opportunities to see God move. And so I was just really struck by that. And so as we, we ponder those things, as we ponder the grand of this vision and and you know we comes back to the great commandment and the great commission and you know love your lord your god with all your heart soul and mind love your neighbor as yourself you know go and make disciples there's so much we can do within that and we realized that we kind of needed some kind of guiding principles we needed some values that you know it, when you have a race and you have the runners they're running in their lane you know and it kind of the lines there like there's nothing actually keeping a runner in their lane, is there? If a runner really wanted to get out of his lane, he could just go into the next lane. But there's these white lines that are on the ground that, and they're not, like almost imaginary. They're not imaginary because they're there, but there's no border keeping them in. But yet somehow, manage to keep a runner on track as he races. And so that's what we sort of see our values as. They're kind of the, the guiding lines. And, there. They're not going to like bump up against them and like, oh, we didn't do that, or you know, they you know they manifest and keep ourselves in. But they're the guidelines that keep us focused, they keep us on track, unlike my sermon right at the moment, as I babble. But that's what we want them to do. And so we've established nine core values that we see as keeping us on track and keeping us uniquely focused on the mission that God has given Ritson Road Alliance Church. And we've been digging into them. For the past few weeks, we were exploring what does it look like to be devoted to knowing God? And not just devoted, because anyone can be devoted. We want to be passionately devoted to knowing Him. And so the values that we explored were, first and foremost, that we'd be Christ-centered and Spirit-empowered. We looked at this idea of being biblically-based, and what does that mean? That we are foundationally rooted in the Scriptures, and that we will be people of prayer, ever in people who are praying, expecting that God will answer. And this morning, I want to actually begin to shift our focus from being devoted to knowing God to this idea of being deeply committed to loving one another. And I shift that flows out of our relationship with God. And First John four seven says this: It says, "Dear friends." Love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
And I love the way that that is so perfectly captured because first and foremost, we need to start with our love and our knowledge of God. We need to... Because that is the demonstration, that is the model that shows us how we can love one another. And then as we recognize, as we come to know who he is, as we encounter him, as, as we have a relationship with him, the more we grasp his love for us, then there, we cannot help, and I'm convinced of this, we cannot help but begin to develop and pour out a love for one another. It flows from him through us to one another. Don actually goes on a little bit later to say, dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this I'm convinced of loving God it produces this love that we need to love one another. And so as we consider this, what does it look like for us to love one another, to be committed to this? And so one of the values that we think will help us to, be, you know, to love one another, to be deeply committed to, is that we will be family-oriented. As a church, we want to seek to provide opportunities for people to to experience significant relationships that encourage spiritual growth. You know, as I think about it, like many of our other values, um, our culture and our personal experiences often shape how we view them or understand them. So depending on where you come from, your view of the scriptures will, will vary. Uh, you know, people who come from the Middle East have a very high regard for a holy book. You would never put your Bible on the floor. And so our culture and our upbringing, our families of origin, they all shape it. So family is no different. This understanding of who our families are and what does it mean to be family-oriented are shaped by our upbringings, our cultures, our families of origin. You know, sometimes for the, for the good, sometimes for the not-so-good. You know, for some... Family is viewed like a straitjacket or a prison. And I don't know what your experience growing up was, but you know, for some, it was restricting and repressive. And so there was this desire to get out from your family as soon as possible. You know, I, I know I have friends who, like, at 16 years of age, my friend Pete, he got out of his house. He just couldn't live with his family anymore. He needed his freedom. He needed to live his own life. You know, for others, family is the most important to possibly hold. You know, it's something that is to be cherished and upheld and celebrated. You know, everything happens within the context of family. And then there are all of us who, I don't know where you fall, may fall somewhere in between. Maybe you have moments where you're like, I just need to get away from my family. And I think we all have that, even if we cherish our family. But we fall in the spectrum, depending on how we were raised and, and our experiences. And, and so it's important for you to kind of have an understanding of where we're coming from, where I'm coming from, when I church will be family-oriented. And I want to start by saying this, that I believe family is important. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, we actually see references to family, do we not? I think you could sit down and you can think about them. You would have an understanding of them. But we see throughout the scriptures where God gives commands to families. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read this. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. God is giving these instructions to, to parents to teach their children. This is how you're supposed to raise your kids to know me and to continue to pass on your love for, for, the, for the Lord. Throughout Scripture, we also see instructions on how the family should relate to one another. You know, in the book of Ephesians, we hear Paul saying things like, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. We see him saying, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. We also see things like, Father, do not exasperate your children. I've been known to do those things from time to time. So we see these instructions. We see the value of family. We see the promise come through family, through the lineage of Abraham. This is who God was. And then, of course, throughout Scripture, we are told that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus are members of the family of God, just as Amanda reminded us this morning. That when you know Jesus, you are adopted into a larger family. Ephesians 2.19 tells us, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Or Romans 8.16, which says, the Spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. Family is important to God. But what does this mean when we talk about being family-oriented? How do we live that out in the context of Ritson Road Alliance Church? I mean, we can certainly dive into those things. What does that look like for the husband to, to love the, the bride? What does it look like for wives to submit and all of those kind of things? And we can extrapolate, we can apply those to what does that look like for us as individuals. But I think that there's a variety of ways that the church can be family-oriented. And we can dig into all sorts of them. But I really want to highlight kind of three areas that I think are really important. At least for me. And I hope that you'll find them important too. But the first one is this. Is that for a church to be family oriented, it means that everyone has a seat at the table. And I'm going to dig into that in a moment. The second thing I think it means is that we all learn from each other. And then thirdly, I think it means that we are committed to one another. And this is what we're talking about, that we are deeply committed to loving one another. And so when I think of a church that is family-oriented, I don't think of a church that is just geared towards families. I mean, certainly we have, we have programs for them. But I don't think that a church that is family-oriented is only focused on our young families. Um, it's not even about offering programs that will reach every single age and stage of life that comes through the church doors. It's great when we can offer those programs. It's great when we can offer things that help raise our kids and, and meet the needs of every single generation. And, and we strive to do that. But rather, I see the church that is family-oriented as a place where everyone comes together and everyone has a seat at the table. So whether you are a newborn or 101, single or married, or grandkids, or no kids, 
You know, it's a place where every generation, every social class can find a place. They can find a seat at the table. I feel like this is exemplified in Galatians chapter 3, where Paul says this. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have, Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are then Abraham's seeds and heirs according to the promise. And I think this is just such a beautiful picture of what it means to be family. There's no differentiation between people. We are all one. Each one of us belongs. And I love that. And I think that's sometimes really hard for us to wrap. Uh, and there, there's stories throughout Scripture that talk about this, that relate to it, that it doesn't matter if you've been in a for five minutes or 45 years. We all belong to the same Jesus, the same Creator, the same Author, the same Father who loves us. And I think part of the way I think we can, I can exemplify this, and I can picture this for you guys, is um, having just celebrated Thanksgiving. You know, I don't know what your Thanksgiving celebrations look like, but take a moment and to think about them. Think about some of the, the best Thanksgiving dinners you've been a part of, or, or celebrations, or maybe it, it could be Christmas or, or birthday parties. But I want you to specifically think about mealtimes. What does that look like? When you think about like those, those moments of, of big celebration, what does the meal look like? You know, for often, you know, growing up, my experience, and maybe this was your experience too, is that whenever we had a large group, when we had a Thanksgiving, we always had an adult's table and a kid's table. And this is not to, to judge or to shame or that for any reason, but I think this is sort of a picture that we have of the church as well. And, and so we give the kids their own table so that they can make noise, they can have fun together, uh, and you know they're off separated so that the adults can sit and visit. The adults can do the important talk, talk and conversation without the distraction of the kids. You know, and the big table is just for the grown-ups. I want to contrast that with what dinners look like at the house of friends of ours. Their names are Brian and Michelle, and Brian and Michelle, they love to host big gatherings. They do it multiple times a year. They, they have huge gatherings for Thanksgiving, and at Christmas time, they have like this open house. And um, one of the things that I love about their gatherings is that everyone is there together. So they have a huge house, they have big space. They could easily have an adult's table and a kid's table. They could separate different groups. But at Brian and Michelle's house, there is no kids' table. There is no adult table. Everybody is hanging out with everyone. You know, so you might be sitting in the living room and sitting on the couch, you'll have a couple of kids who are eating and a couple of adults, and they're not even the parents of those kids. They're just sitting. They're getting to know the kids. They're spending time with them. In the, the dining room, you have the table, and at the dining room table, there's families Intermixed, you know, there might be a mom feeding her kid, and then there's grandparents sitting around together. 
There's people wandering from room to room just interacting with one another. Everybody is there and everyone is invited into the space and they're all equal. They are welcome at the table. There's freedom to be with one another. And that's what I think with church that is family-oriented looks like. Certainly there's times where, you know, in those big moments at Brian and Michelle's house, the kids will all disappear and they'll all head down to the basement to play together. I think that's natural. There's no differentiating between them. And I think the same is true for us as a church. Do we see ourselves as those who are invited to the table? Whether we are young or old, single or married, do we have a Are we heard? And I think that's important as we continue to move love one another, that we acknowledge that that is who we are. The second thing I think of when I think of a church that is family-oriented is a place where generations learn from one another. And I think this is tied to this idea of having a seat at the table. But generations come to learn from one another. We seek to grow and we seek to challenge and encourage each other. The Barna Group, um, they're a research-based company that's based out of California, and their whole, all what they do is basically research and how faith, and, you know, so how does the church and how does our society work and interplay with a ton of studies. And in fact, I actually worked with David Kinnaman in a number of years ago before they started putting out these studies on a conference. But why are the millennial generation leaving? Um, but they also explored why the millennial generations that were staying stayed. Now, I'm at the very end of this generation, so I, I get to speak somewhat with it in terms of this context. But I'm also not quite a millennial, so when I'm speaking to you guys who are younger, let's just know that. But one of the things that they said for those who were choosing to stay, the younger generations, why they were staying in churches, was that the most positive church experiences they had were relational. And it wasn't just that they were any kind of relationship. In fact, it wasn't just that they were segregated into their own. It was that they had intergenerational relationships. That was listed as one of the top reasons why young families, young, young people remained in communities. There was an interconnection between the generations. They felt like they had a seat at the table. They felt like people that would speak into their lives and whose lives that they could also speak into. And so this was huge. This is important. David Kinnaman, who, the president of Barna, said this in one of the reports, and I think this one is from 2013, so it's a little bit dated, but he says this, cultivating intergenerational relationships is one of the most important ways in which effective faith communities are developing flourishing faith in both young and old in many churches. This means changing the metaphor from simply passing the baton to the next generation to a more functional biblical picture of a body that is the entire community of faith across the entire lifespan working together to fulfill God's purposes. I want you to just take a moment to, to think on that. There is value in passing on our faith 
but if we want to see flourishing communities of faith, we need the whole body. We need to learn from one another. And I see this idea of the entire community together um, beautifully depicted in the Psalms. In Psalm 145, we read this, Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. Once again, we're knowing God, we're loving him. The psalmist commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. One generation commending the works of another. It's not just one generation passing them down. The, the picture that the psalmist is painting is one generation praising God to another. And that generation praising God back to the first generation. It is a passing of that praise amongst each other. This is parents teaching their children. This is grandparents teaching their grandkids. But it is also kids teaching their parents. It's brothers and sisters praising God to one another. This is important. It's so beautiful in how we operate as a as body of a church. And I think in many ways our church does this well. You know, I've talked to many who are on the leadership of the, the quizzing teams. And I love hearing when they talk about how much they, the leadership of the quizzing team, is encouraged by the kids as they're learning, as they're growing in their faith, as they're memorizing God's Word. Connecting with their reality in their life, our adults, our leaders, are just, they're encouraged. They're inspired. They're drawn deeper into their love for God. I know that our TAC teams have been encouraged to serve alongside our youth and our young adults who have been a part of those ministries. And whenever our youth and young adults come out, there, there's this excitement. We've been blessed to have so many of our youth and young adults involved in serving on worship teams. This morning, having Rachel play the piano, we've had our, our sound and AV team has run entirely this morning by our, our youth and our young adults. There's this intergenerational worshiping and praise back and forth. And I know that many of you who are from the older generations have love and, and taught and praised God to the younger generations. As much as you receive from the younger generations, you pass on to them. And there's this beautiful connection of family. And so I believe that a biblical view of the church and that is family-oriented is one that encourages both singles and families from every generation, from every kind of background, young and old, rich or poor, uh, meaningful. Don't feel that you need to be stuck within your bubble because, well, I'm, I'm a single, single mom, or I'm a parent with, with young kids, or I'm a senior, I, you know, all I can do is serve. Like, I'm tired of serving. Maybe that's where you're at. And it's just, you've been faithful. You've passed on your knowledge. You've passed on your love. And you're just tired. And maybe it's time for you to receive from younger generations as well. And this is where the beauty of it comes in. Is we need to connect. We need to learn from one another. And as a community, as, as we do that, as we learn from one another, as we receive from one another, the body of Christ is going to actually be able to take the gospel message out. Build strong and healthy communities of faith. And 
And finally, when I think of a church that is family-oriented, I think of people who are committed to Jesus and to one another. You know, in the Gospel of Mark, there's this encounter where Jesus um, is with his disciples, and he's been teaching. And his mother and his brothers come out looking for them, and they're outside of the building that he's in. And they're saying, you know, someone comes in and says, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus replies saying, well, who are my mother and my brothers? And he looks at those who are seated in the circle around him. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever, brother or sister and mother. And I've always kind of like that, I wrestle with that. Like, what was Jesus saying here? Was he saying that there was no value in his brothers and his sisters, that he, did, he was disassociating from them? I don't think he's saying that at all. In fact, I don't think Jesus, you know, Jesus would later go on as he's on the cross um, to point his mom to John. And he would tell John to take care of his mom. And so Jesus had this real, he valued family. But I think what he was saying here is that when it comes to the family of God, it means more than just a loose affiliation with Jesus. It's more than just saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm connected to you because I call myself a Christian. It's those who are actually committed and those who are sitting in the room, who are committed to Jesus and to one another, to the discipleship journey. Those are the people that say, this is my family. They are the ones who are moving forward. They are dedicated. They are commitment, committed. I think that's hard sometimes, because what does that look like? One of the church networks that I, I follow is a group of house churches called the Table Network. And so they meet throughout all of the, the U.S. and particularly on the West Coast. But um, I was challenged by something that they wrote recently, or a little while back. They said this. They said, realizing that the church is who we are in Jesus, is a singular family made up of people scattered throughout the world, towards being and living as the church in the everyday. However, theologically understanding that the church is family and using the word family in your church marketing isn't the same as experiencing this reality with those around you. See, a family joins each other in the celebrations and cries through the pains. We toast together and are sure to have our tiffs. How many of you had a, a fight at Thanksgiving with someone? They go on and says, we encourage. We receive encouragement. Sometimes we have tough conversations. We share our belongings and we ask for help when times are tough. And here in this community, we know and are known. We're needy and needed. Mutual, messy. At times it's mundane, and indeed the church is a mystery, and there's always room for more. It's mutual, it's messy, and it is a mystery. Those are three words out of that that captivated me. But I hope that that, that I hope that that challenges you in some way that. Just because you are family, just because we say we are family, 
and I actually I reflect back on when I when we first arrived here as, at the church and we had asked people what is, is what is it about Ritz and Road Launch Church that made you stay and people said it, it feels like family and I want to challenge us to move beyond the it feels like family to a place where we say it is family where we are actually living this together in community it's really easy to show up on Sunday and then to, you know, to worship and to receive and then just to walk out the doors and never have connected with one another. And yet I believe that this is what God is wanting for us. He is wanting us to do life together through the thick and through the thin, through the tough and through the good. To be there for one another. And I believe, I think Acts 2 gives us this perfect example of what this looks like. You're after Pentecost when Peter has gotten up and he's given this declaration of the gospel of Jesus. And the first Christians and the early church starts to gather together and, and it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. And I don't think that meant that they did everything the same and that they looked exactly the same. They were together. Property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the picture of a family-oriented church. Those who are committed to one another. But how do we show our commitment to one another? I mean, that's a really great question. And I wish I could give you an answer. Because what it looks like for me isn't necessarily going to look like what it will look like for you. And so it varies from individual to individual. But are we committed to each other? Are you willing to connect and to invest in the lives of others? To do life with them? To be vulnerable with them? I think one of the things that we can actually demonstrate our commitment to one another is actually through membership. Um, you know, in some ways, this is going to be a plug for membership, but as a church, we don't often talk about membership. Um, and maybe we need to talk about it more, but membership, although it doesn't necessarily equate commitment to the family, is really this formal act of saying, I'm committed. When we talk about membership in our church, we're saying, I am committed to this family. I am committed to this body. I'm committed to those who are around me. I'm committed. And then when I'm not so sure, when I'm not quite sure where the church is headed, or I'm not in agreement with somebody and we have our fights, I'm willing to press in. I'm willing to stay the course. I'm willing to work hard to make things right, and I'm going to fight for my family. You know, I look at families that, that are that thrive and are good, and those are the families where they fight for one another. They may not always agree with one another, but they're there, they're invested, they're committed, they're not going anywhere. And that, that's hard. But that's what we're talking about. We're saying, this is something I'm on board with. This is a direction that we, we see God at work. I want to be a part of that. I want to be able to encourage my family to walk alongside them. 
to teach the generations that are coming next, to receive them, to be in a place where we all have a seat at the table. And maybe you've been in this church for a really long time and you've been committed to this family, but you've never taken that step. I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to come and talk to me or one of the elders. But what does membership look like? Or perhaps you've been coming to the church for a few weeks, months, or years, and as you've been listening to our vision and values, you're starting to say, you know what, this is something I can get behind. This is where I see God moving. And that is something I want to be a part of. This is a group of people. Those of us who are here and those of us who aren't here but who are watching online, this is a group of people that I can commit to doing life with that I can walk with, that I can celebrate with, that I can mourn with and cry with and come alongside with. Where I can be needy and I can be needed. And so if that's you, I'd consider, encourage you to consider becoming a member as well. But as I contemplate what it means to be a church that is family-oriented, I see a group of people who are most devoted to knowing God. They are They are spending time with him. They are experiencing him in their, in their daily lives. They are encountering him, not just in their theology, but in the everyday. And then out of this love for the Father, out of this deep understanding of his love towards us, they in turn are committed to loving those who are around them, to those of us who make up the body of Christ. And we are committed to loving each other through all aspects of life. Not just on Sunday mornings, but each and every single day. As we learn from one another, as we serve one another, and as we find ourselves seated at the table. As we end our service this morning, I just want to give you a few minutes uh, to work through some I want to give you some time to just kind of to ponder and, and to consider some of the things that I've said today. And so I'm going to invite Rachel. She's going to come up and play some, some, some worship. And I'm going to allow you to just take a moment and pause. Maybe you want to quietly reflect on them yourself. Or maybe you actually want to discuss them, these questions with those who are around you. I know, you know you have to be careful social distancing if you're here in the church, but maybe within your family context. Maybe you want to write them down and, and take them and consider them throughout the week. But I'm inviting you to consider what does it look like? Be committed to loving one another by being family-oriented. How are you coming in? Are you joining us? It's messy sometimes mundane. But I believe it is a place where there is incredible blessing that comes from God. Let's pray. And then so Father, we come to you this morning, and I'm thankful that uh, throughout Scripture we see this importance of family. That you have called us to be a family, that the blessings that you have you know, bestowed upon us um, flow in the context of family right from Abraham 
all the way on to Jesus and then passed on to us as co-heirs. Heirs of the, your family. So Lord, this morning I just invite us to consider what does it look like as individuals to be committed to a body of Christ that is family-oriented. One another. And as we move forward as a, as a family and a body, may we bring honor and glory to you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. I invite you to take a moment to reflect on this. Thank you.